Well, I hope you're having a great day in Jesus. And if you're not, come and see me afterwards, and I will try to help you out. Okay? But it's a blessing to be part of this church as a missionary being sent out from you. We've been uh, Project Lambs. If you don't know who we are, Project Lambs is the word Lambs means Light Abroad Mobile Bible Schools. We do discipleship training and equipping in various parts of the world. A lot of it's been in the last little while done over in the Asian Rim. And we thank you that you're praying for us and supporting us. And God is continuing to use us in spite of who we are. I mean, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, uh, Coleman's country right now is at war, going through very difficult times. And the, and the Christians are going through tremendous struggles. But in the midst of all that, God's redemptive plan is still being worked out. And so we're just so glad to be with you. Colwyn, why don't you stand up and just wave at everybody. In case you didn't realize, she is standing right at this moment. Didn't notice that, right? You know, she did stand up. You did? Okay. In their country, they have this little box behind the pulpit so you can stand on it. And even when they stand on the pulpit box, you just see from about here up on Colwyn. So... But she may be small, but she's a powerhouse. I've got the scars to show it. I mean, I've got the love to show it. <laughs> I think I'm going to be going home early by myself tonight. <laughs> but we're just so glad. Both of us are glad that you're in our lives and that you're praying for us. We couldn't do what we do without you doing what you do. We need to work together. Even though we're on the other side of the world, we're part of a body ministry. Amen? People helping each other and people growing in Christ. Well, my focus today is to give a testimony, but I want to give a testimony that's kind of wrapping itself around this word redemption. You know, redemption is often a a theological word that gets reused, and sometimes we link it a lot to our salvation, you know, where God redeems us. But redemption is something that God also does as a process day in and day out. I don't know about you, but I need to be redeemed every day. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? It's not a one-time thing. It's something that we have to come to Jesus Christ through prayer into his word and say, God, redeem me from these things this day. Because we're in a a world right now that needs desperately redemption. Desperately redemption. We live in a city that desperately needs redemption. And so when I look at this word redemption, it draws me back to at least three characters in the Bible. And I want to link my testimony into that. But when I think of Rahab, You know, Rahab was an outsider. Nobody was interested. She was a a, a terrible person, but God's redemptive hand came in there, right? Then when we look at Ruth, she's an outsider. And and Ruth, you know, I mean, her husband dies, and and, and even her mother-in-law says, you know, maybe you should just go back to your own country. But she felt that God was speaking into her life, and the redemption plan took place again. And then when we move into the New Testament, we have this woman at the well. She has to go to the well at the daybreak, right in the middle of the day. So she would miss all the people in the morning and miss all the people in the afternoon. Why? Because she was an outcast. And, and, but God stepped in again and, and personally came to her and brought the redemptive story that touched her life so much that she went out and told others. And that redemptive story, she became the channel of God's redemptive love through her to her own village. And I want to add my name to that list because I was an outcast. You know, my mom and dad separated and divorced. Neither one of them wanted me. And at that point, I got a spirit of rejection in me. And and I was just an angry young man that wanted to fight and get in fights and even to the place that I wanted to kill people because I, I felt if people didn't love me, I wouldn't love them. But that wasn't the end of God's redemptive story. God has a redemptive story in each one of us. And that redemptive story, sometimes we don't know how it works out until you get a little bit older. You know, they say hindsight is better than foresight, right? And I thank God that I can look back now. And sometimes Colwyn will say to me, don't you see God loves you so much? And in reality, she's right. But sometimes I don't remember it. Because when I look back, I see sometimes challenges and heartaches. But at the same time, when I look back, I can see God's redemptive love and his grace and his mercy. And sometimes we, I think that's what the important part of meditation is all about. Why did David meditate so much? I think when you meditate on the word of God and you pray before God, you know what you see? You start seeing things spiritually and you start seeing the redemptive hand of God in your life. Amen. And that's where we need to get to. And that's what I want to share today. 
You know, in my redemptive, in the first part of my redemptive point of my life, in the personal life, how did God do his redemptive work? Even though I was an outcast as a parent, even though uh, my parents left and, and, and separated, and at the age of eight, I was, I was left alone, and I learned how to, to steal, and, and as I got younger, and to rob, and, and to, to, to do things that I thought, well, this is what I need to do for me. Because, you know, when, when, when the day came, my mother brought a moving van to the house, and, and she moved out some furniture, and she left me standing right on the front porch and says, I can't take you. You know, I do love you, but I can't take you. And then she left. And then my father came a few weeks later as he continued to come back and forth and says, you know, I can't live here anymore. I have another woman. And he left. Now, at that age, sometimes when your parents leave, you think you have just gone to glory. Because now you have no discipline. You can do whatever you want. Stay out long as you want and party as long as you want, right? Well, at least that's what I thought. You, you, you guys don't think these things? Okay. Man, I, don't, I just got to deal with this. So, you know. And so, but I remember all, all these challenges that were going on. And I remember that, that, you know, I felt rejected and I felt to the place that I just wanted to commit suicide. But even during that times, I could hear God's still small voice speaking and trying to get my attention. That's the biggest thing is God speaking, but we don't hear. You know what I mean? I, I believe God's speaking all the time, and that he's saying something all the time, but we've got to get the wax out of the ears, and we've got to get our eyes open to hear what the Spirit is wanting to say to us. And so as I traveled along my early years and, and got into this whole area, I remember one time I was at a blood donor's clinic. And again, you've got to think of the humor of God here. And none of you grew up in St. Thomas, right? Because if you did, you need to go to the hospital and get your blood checked out. Because I used to donate blood a lot, and they didn't have the screening factor back then, and, and uh, which is a glad, good thing that they've added into nowadays. But I would every three months donate blood, and I'm just praying for those people. God have mercy on them. Anyway, and uh, while I was there uh, donating blood, at that time my girlfriend was a Sunday school teacher, and this was in a, in a church, a large church in our community. And I had gone up afterwards, and they, she was in a, a Christian education uh, meeting, and they were looking for Sunday school teachers. And finally, the, the person in charge of the Sunday school uh, area said, have you ever taught kids before? And I said, well, I've taught kids, cubs and scouts, but never anything else. He said, uh, would you like to try teaching? And I said, well, sure. So within a few minutes, I was a teacher of the junior high uh, Sunday school class in this church. They handed me two books, said, read it, and tell the kids this on Sunday. Okay, so I started to look at this, and I, I began to, and of course the kids, I had about 13 to 15 uh, teenagers, you know, come from really nice homes, moms and dads, and then there's me. Long hair, about 100 pounds. I used to sit up in the balcony. It was the time when all the women wore hats, and they tried to outdo each other with hats and their dress. And I would sit up there and kind of giggle and laugh. Look at that one. Look at that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm this got hair down to here, and I've got the goatee, you know, and I've got a long mohair jacket. And, and, and I didn't have to worry about space because everybody just gave me space. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of people who really wanted to get close to me. And, and I, I understand now. But, but God wasn't, wasn't finished yet. And I remember that after a little bit of time of teaching a Sunday school class, they invited me to go to an area where the churches all got together, an area, a conference on Sunday school class and uh, teachers and that. And I went there, and of course, you know, if you know anything about me, I don't know when to shut up. I can't actually speak as fast as that lady that did the announcements. Okay, I'm working on it. That's a fast lady. And, uh, but... But so anyway, I put up my hand, and, and uh, I, I, they said, yes, uh, and I'm this long-haired guy. I said, yes, what? I have a question. He said, uh, said, what is your question? I said, I just got a problem. I said, you give me these Sunday school manuals, and I read them and everything. I just have one question. What's that? Why doesn't it line up to the Bible? You know what I mean? Like, you, you deny the miracles of God, and you know what? And my Sunday school career ended quickly. <laughs> <clears throat> But I had a respect for the Word of God. I, somewhere along the line, in all my walks and journey, I, I knew this was a holy book. 
Do you know what I'm talking about? And so you, I would always wash my hands before it opened. And I was a smoker back then. I would never blow smoke on the Bible. Like, why would you blow smoke on the Holy Word of God? Whew. You know, and you wouldn't get drunk around it and all that because this is the book. And maybe I was a little out of balance in that area. But I had a respect. And I feel if people didn't honor the book, how would they honor anything else? And, and I believe God honored that. And his redemptive story started working through my life. And, and it was when I was 17 years old that I decided on a long weekend that I'm going to go hitchhiking down to the States. I lived in St. Thomas, Ontario. I was going to hitchhike, well, not actually to the States, but down to Windsor. There was going to be a party. It, you know, I was a party animal, and that's where I wanted to be. Well, as I was hitchhiking along, at the, we got from St. Thomas to London. There was a cloverleaf there. And this little Volkswagen came along and picked up two guys on the other side and then picked up me, and then there was two in the front seat. And these two guys, they were kind of like goody two-shoes. They were these, these people, you know, they got their hair cut, you know, they're clean cut and everything. And they couldn't stop talking about Jesus. But I had been to Sunday school, so I knew the Christian jargon enough to kind of get, make it look like I was a Christian too. So they were witnessing to the guys in the front seat and telling them all kinds of things. And I was going along, yeah, okay. You know, and they, they thought, well, that's fine. And then the car stopped, and then they, they, uh, we all got out because we had to get another car. And they said, let's pray. And so they prayed, and, and while they finished praying, they thought they, and there was a car already stopped there. And I thought, this is a great way for hitchhiking. I never experienced this way before. That I always thought you had to stick out your thumb, and they just bowed their head and prayed, and a car showed up. I thought, this is cool. I'm going to have to remember that. And so when we get down, down to the, by the border there, the Detroit has a, a place you cross over on the bridge and a place you go under the tunnel. And we got out of the car, and I said, I'm going to go do my thing. And they said, well, that's too bad. And, and they went one way, and I went another way, and we ended up in the same restaurant. Now, they are a crazy Christian. They said, this has got to be of God. You know, God's doing something here. And you should come with us to the States. And I thought, this is great because I've always wanted to get in the States. If I can get in there without anyone knowing who I am, I'm going to have a great time. And uh, so I can remember them standing at the phone booth, calling their relatives on the other side. And every once in a while, they would look at me. And they would look at me. I think they were trying to explain, you know, like a lost dog they just found. <laughs> and they want to bring him home. And is it okay, mom and dad? And so eventually they convinced them and they picked me up and took me into the States. And then when we got, got to their house, it was so unique. They welcomed me into the home and they gave me a room all to myself. And, uh, but before I, I, I went to bed, they said, you, can we show you something in the, in, the, in the washroom? And I said, sure. So I went in the washroom. This thing is called a shower. And uh, you, you adjust these taps here. And out of there comes the water and you stand under that and you, you know, I've never seen one of those things before because where I grew up it was no not that so I thought that's really cool that's modern technology you know what I mean and then after I was finishing shower they gave me their own room and this was one of those fanatical ladies that iron the sheets does anyone know about them you know what I mean they iron they actually literally iron I mean my sheets they were firm all the time because I never cleaned them okay the ones I you know so when you folded it back, it just stayed there. You could probably stay right up and straight up and down. And so here's her sheets, all clean, folded back. And I just remember the, the, the feeling of sliding into those sheets. How beautiful they were. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. But that, after that experience that night, I began, uh, they had some prayer time, and then we had a prayer time in the morning. And they said to me, would you like to go to a Christian camp? Sure. So the lady put $20 on the table and said, you know, here's some money. You'll need something for the camp. Now, you need to realize that at my young age with my dad, he always taught me that nobody gives nothing for nothing or something for nothing. There's always strings attached. Always. He pounded that in my head. Watch those people who try to give you something and say that there's no strings attached. And so I was leery of that. But, you know, most of the time I stole money. And if somebody wants to now give it to me, I'm okay. You know what I mean? And so she gave it to me. We went out to the Christian camp, and we had a great time. And, and us three Canadians, we won all kinds of events. And, but then we come back after that, and in the evening, they had another little prayer meeting. And in that prayer meeting, they began to pray for this father, this teenager's father, who was a drunk. And, uh, and so they prayed and that. And then the, the next morning, they said, would you, would you come to church with us? And I said, sure. And it was a Baptist church down in, down in uh, Detroit. And uh, 
So I went to them, and of course the ushers are good like the ushers here. If you're a new person, they move you right to the front of the church, right? You know what I mean? So I was about three rows back, and they sat me there. And you know what? The nice thing about it, I had the whole pew to myself. You know, people would come up, and they look at you, and they find another seat. You know, that was nice. You know, I mean, I could relax. I could spread out, do whatever, you know. And I, I remember then while I was sitting there, uh, the pastor's daughter, because I, I had met her just the night before, she came up to me, and she gave me her Bible. And she said, I feel that the Holy Spirit wants me to give you this my Bible. And I opened it up, and I saw it was all underlined with notes and that, and I couldn't handle that. Something in my heart started to break. I said, why would she give me a book that looks like a love letter to her, where she interacted and wrote in it and everything else, and now she's giving it to me. And I couldn't handle it, and I had to run out of the... I got up and got out of the church, and I just wept and wept and wept in the back, out in the parking lot. I couldn't understand such a great gift that somebody would give me something so precious to them. Then that afternoon, they asked me, would you like to go to another service? You know, these were fanatical Baptists. They go to services and services and services. And so, fine, I got nothing else up. You know, I mean, I'm just kind of going along with the flow. And uh, so we go to another service, and the service was at the jail. Now, this is my kind of place, okay? (laughs) I can relate to this. And, but the interesting thing while I was in there, it was a men's jail. And what was that, that, that touched my heart? And again, God's redemptive plan is still working and still working. Where a bunch of men, when we got in, we were a little bit late getting in. And there was a bunch of men worshiping with their hands lifted up. Now you say that's not much. That doesn't really mean that. But you need to understand this was black men and white men all sitting together worshiping God. Now, I grew up in St. Thomas, and there was, at the time, that time, there was the riots in Detroit, where the blacks and the whites were killing each other and burning each other, and, and I just thought, this had to be God, because there's no other way. These guys don't get along with each other, unless the Spirit of God is with them. And they were praising and worshiping, and I said, you know, God must be here. Whoever this God is, he must be here. And then after that service, we, we went home and had a little bit of rest. And then the evenings, the, before the evening service was now the youth service. Another service. I've never been to so many services in all my life. And we went to the youth, and they're praying for this father and so forth and so on. Then after that service, then came the evening service. Okay? So we were in the evening service, and they had a missionary that night. And I don't know what this missionary talked about. The only thing I can remember... Now, you need to understand, I was raised up on Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath... Jimi Hendrix, people who knew how to play instruments. <laughs> this guy, please have mercy on me. Can you go start the car? Because I think I'm going to... I noticed they got an exit sign there, and they got a sign right there on the floor that says, when you need to get out of here, that's probably for Pastor Paul. That's right out there. This guy gets up with an accordion. Any of you play accordions? Oh, thank you, Lord. Two services I've got by. <laughs> just let me tell you that I've just nodded into according where something sounds like a cat just got killed. Anyway, uh, I like them now. I actually had a friend that had one. <laughs> but at the end, uh, uh, the pastor gets up like he should, and he, and he, and he gives an altar call. And, and at the beginning of the altar call, as he's getting it out, the doors in the back open, and a man comes running up, and he falls right down on the steps, and he cries out for Jesus. And the Holy, something said to me, and I believe it's the Holy Spirit, said to me, that's the drunk man that everybody's been praying for. And I couldn't handle it anymore. I got up and I went forward. So here's this long-haired hippie and this drunk who both the world had rejected, never thought could ever be used of God, given their lives to Jesus Christ. And Jesus met me. His redeeming grace. His redeeming grace. Amen. Came into my heart that day. I was so excited about it because no one had ever told me about Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. So what I did, I gave away my few clothes. And that's not a great giveaway, okay? Uh, The few clothes I had, I gave them away. I prayed again. And and I went down. They took me to a Christian bookstore. And I bought 75 pounds of tracks. And the reason why I know because we weighed it. And I got 75 pounds of tracks. And when we were going back across the border, the border guard said, what's in that bag? And I said, there's tracks. Would you like one? No, no, it's okay. (laughs) I could have had 100 pounds of marijuana in there, and he wouldn't have opened that thing. (laughs) 
But because I said they're gospel tracts, not a chance. No, no. And I began to go up and down the streets of St. Thomas because I knew no one had ever told me about Jesus. And the first time I heard about Jesus as Savior, I received him. So I figured I'm in a city of 30,000 people. They all need Jesus, and someone's got to tell them. So I began going up and down the streets, telling people, handing out tracts, getting them cornered in the corner stores, in the, in the corner. And you know what? Those people would pray the prayer of salvation. But sometimes I'm not so sure if it was a salvation prayer because they were terrified of me, and even if they didn't get saved, there would be problems. So they would pray the prayer, and I, I'm, I can't wait to get to heaven to find out who's actually there and who isn't. My method of evangelism could have been a little bit rocky, but it got results. And people got saved, I think. And uh, so I would hand out tracts, and I would, I, would, I would do all these things. And, and, uh, and it wasn't long after that, but I found I, I, I was still doing a lot of things in the flesh. And uh, I, got, I decided to go back down to Detroit. I didn't mention this this morning, Pastor Paul, but I went back down to Detroit. And the pastor's daughter and her boyfriend said, you know, we've got to come to a meeting. There's something going on here. Now, you remember, this is during the hippie movement in the 60s. And uh, I'm actually older than Paul and Pastor Paul. Not by much, but a little bit older. And, uh, and as it was there, there was an auditorium. And it was chairs all in circles and circles and circles going out. And we got there again a little bit late. And there was these archways that you had to go through. So I hanged up my big hippie jacket coat, and I hung it up, and, and I could hear this weird sound of music coming out of this sanctuary. And, and it was a beautiful harmony and, and blended together. And uh, as I was coming to the archway, I said, Lord, whatever they got, I could see the, the radiance and the, the power of God on them. I said, whatever they got, Lord, I want. And as I walked through the door, I was baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right in the archway. And I entered right in, and I began to worship right along with them, just like a heavenly choir. God. God's redemptive power. And again, you know this, but I needed that power when I went back to St. Thomas. Not that I needed power for my own strength, but I needed the power of his strength. So God showed me a lot of hope and grace. The second thing that I saw in his redemptive work in my life was in within my own family. You know, when I started uh, doing street ministry, it wasn't long after that that, I, that God laid on my heart to start to do more things like evangelism, coffee houses, and things like that. You know, I just felt people need to hear about Jesus because if you hear about Jesus, you can get liberated from drugs. You can get liberated from alcohol. He actually sets you free. And somebody's got to tell somebody that. <laughs> okay? You know, I hear Red Deer is not a happy camper place lately with all the problems. Someone's got to tell them, hey, I know somebody that's going to set you free. Just trust him. Just trust him. He will redeem you. He will love you. He will show you his grace and hope. So after I began to work within my own family, I got married at the age of 18 and to a beautiful wife named Irene. And she was just kind of about as crazy as I am. And, and uh, and so we began to feel that we needed to start a, 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 an outdoor type of evangelistic ministry where God gave me a vision. God gives me visions every once in a while, and I, I'm just dumb enough to trust him. And he gave me a vision that go buy a bus and, and turn this bus into a mobile church on wheels. And so I said, okay, that's good. He showed me to put curtains around, put an organ in the front, and put a, a puppet booth there. And then, and then, and then have, I would weld up some stairs that could go out. And we can go park from place to place and have a church right there. Go out and advertise it a couple of days for, and the church would be there. And I remember the first Sunday when the church was, was there, we had about 20, 25 to 27 people. And that Sunday, all of them gave their lives to Christ. You know? But at that time, I wasn't the preacher. At that time, I was just the bus driver and the mechanic. And, and God, but was God's redemptive power was still going and working in my life. I remember when we went to get the bus, when we had the vision, I got up and I told Irene, I said, we need to buy a bus and that's what we need to do. And she says, well, where is the bus? I don't know where the bus is. But I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to get in the car today and just drive and you'll show us where it is. Now, that's kind of weird, eh? 
So we got in a bus, or got in our car, and we drove, and he, he kind of laid on my heart, okay, drive out of the city. So I drove out of the city. Drive to another town. So I drove to another tribe. Drive down these laneways. I drove down the laneway. And as I drove back out, out in the back part of this other city, here is a whole bus farm. Buses everywhere. But there was only two buses for sale. One was a $600 one, one was a $300 one. And these buses have been parked for a long time. And the guy told me the $600 one is probably the better one. You should buy that. But I don't have enough money. And so I said, what about that one that's sitting over there and it's, it's sunk down in the dirt and it's got mud all the way around it, right up to the bottom of the skirt. What about that? And he said, you mean that old GMC, that old 59 GMC flathead? Yeah, I think that's the one. And it's all rusted out. And I said to Irene, I said, I think that's the one. And she looked at me, you sure? I said, I think that's the one. So the guy said, I'll go get another bus, and I will, I will get the keys and that and the jumper cables, and I will try to see if we can start it, and then you can at least hear it running. I said, fine. So he went and got the keys, and he actually showed up with another bus, and, and, and I said to him, you know, I, I believe this is of the Lord. If this is of the Lord, I want you to give me the keys, and I, I want, if it's of the Lord, he will start it. And he will get it out. Now that's really fanaticism, isn't it? But that's kind of the way I live. I'm just weird that way. You know, I just, you know. So he said, sure, here's the keys. And, and, and uh, I got in. And it just as he was getting in the bus, he's kind of giving me that funny look, you know. You are weird. Because <laughs> you don't, you've got to be so stupid. You don't understand when a bus is that stuck in the mud. And been sitting there that long, it will not move. And it probably will not start. I said, that's cool. I'm, I'm with you on that. I'm just, I'm, I understand the worldly system. But I got in, and I put the keys in, and I just clicked the keys, and the engine fired up with no problem. And it hadn't been running for several years, and it's now running. And then I said, I'm going to drive it out, and I put it in gears, and that guy, I think I could have drove the, mu- the bus through his mouth. <laughs> it just dropped. And he said to me afterwards, he says, it was like something came along and picked up the bus and moved it on to dry ground, and I was able to drive it away. See, our, our God is a, a redeeming God. He, he can redeem. He can do things. And out of that, we began to do evangelism and more ministry. And, uh, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't challenges. You know, the redemptive plan, I don't know if you get it, but God's ultimate plan for you is not ministry. Now, I want to put that in carefully. His ultimate, ultimate plan is to make you more like him. And when you become more like him, you will have a ministry because it will just happen. Because people are going to want to get around you. They're going to want to be part of what you are. So I always tell people, stop worrying about ministry. Just start worrying about having a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you have a deeper relationship with his redemptive power, you will have a ministry. It will just begin to happen. God will make room for it. And, and so I, I began to uh, go through also some struggles. And one of the struggles that showed off in our married life was one day I was driving home in our little Volkswagen and, and VW, and I heard on the radio a description of somebody who just robbed the bank. Okay, so bank robbing, they closed the whole town down, and they had RCMP, and they had Ontario Provincial Peace. They had everybody shutting the whole town. A city of 30,000 was shut down. And uh, I turned to Irene, and I said... You know, that description, she says, what? I think that's my mom. She says, no way. I mean, your mother's a drunk, and she sleeps with all kinds of people, but she's not a bank robber. That's good to know, right? That's, I mean, that's, I mean <laughs> like, how do you move from being that over to being a bank robber? And I said, no, I, I, I think it's my mom. And, and, uh, and, and she said to me, well, let's, let's just go home, and we'll just pray about it. And I called up a friend, and I said, you know, I, I, I think this bank robber is my mother. And uh, I began to weep because how do you, as a young Christian, if it's true, how do you turn in your own mother? Okay, that's not an easy, I don't know about you, but that's not an easy little fit there. So God's going to have to do something and going to have to work it out. And, and later on that afternoon, a hotel that I used to go and drink at called me up and says, you know, your mother's here and she's buying rounds for everybody. And not only that, I found out that afternoon I got a call from an appliance store. Your mother has just bought you a washer and dryer, and it's being sent to your house. And I'm thinking, something's not right here, okay? 
And so I go to the hotel and I, and I find my mother and I get her purse and, and I come out and then, well, she's so drunk. I, I, then while I was taking her to the hospital, because I had, my mother had been in the mental hospital a number of times and, and she had tried to commit suicide by cutting her arms and cutting her throat. And many times I had to go and take her and, well, anyway. It's, it's not a happy camper time. So then I took the money to the police station. I said, is there any way that you would know that this is stolen money or not? Because my mom said she got it from her uncle. But you need to understand, my mom, my mom was an orphan in a, in, in, a, in a Catholic home, okay? And she had no relatives. That part I knew. So to say that she got money from an uncle doesn't work. Um, I might be foolish, but I'm not dumb. And uh, so at that point... Uh, after I dropped her off, I went to the police station. Of course, they pulled out all the serial numbers, checked off, yes, it's my mother. And I remember them going back out and getting my mom and bringing her in because I, I was responsible. I had to be there while they were fingerprinting her and, and doing all those things. And I remember how much time she just cursed me and cursed me. What kind of a son are you? But God's redemptive power was still there, was still working. And, 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 and he began to, to move in my life. And he continued, even though my mother was a bank robber. And it was, it was sad because the bank, she went into the bank and she had robbed the Royal Bank. And, and uh, went home and just watched it all on television. Got herself a couple cases of beer, was drinking, and, and could care less. But then they, they took her back to the mental hospital and gave her some drugs. And then they, they sent her home. They figured she was better. So now she's home with drugs and alcohol. I'm not sure what kind of therapy that is. But anyway, so then she went out that afternoon again, and then she goes and, and she gets a, a pellet pistol, and she goes and she robs a Toronto, Jamaica, Toronto uh, Dominion Bank. And I remember the stories that came to me after, because when my mom came out, she kind of hit the door and all the money fell on the ground. And, and, and people were coming and collecting the money. She's got a gun in her hand. They're collecting the money and putting it back into a shop. I'm thinking, like, people, do you see what's going on here? You know what I mean? And they helped this little old lady get the money back in her shopping bag. But her goal was, was to run down behind the Catholic Church. And she was hoping that when she would turn and point the gun at the officer who was chasing her, he would gun her down. See, back then you, you didn't believe in suicide. And if you took your own life, you would you'd go to hell, right? And so she knew that. So she knew that though if someone else took her life, then she'd be off the hook. See, we kind of think strange ways, but... But the man noticed that when she spun around and pointed the gun at the detective, he saw that the hole in the gun was too small. Instead of shooting her, he tackled her. And, uh, of course, she ended up going to jail for a number of years. But during all that time, God brought people into my life. Irene was a woman who brought grace into my life. And showed me that, that, that God can forgive and forgive and, and can wash and cleanse us. Because my past was haunting me. But I needed a, a woman who would bring grace into my life. And, and uh, about 15 years ago, the Lord took her home. And then he gave me another beautiful wife. And, but, my, you know, Colwyn didn't, you know, bring so much grace into my life. But God knew I, I needed to have love in my life. To understand. You know what Colwyn says to me almost every week? Don't you see how much God loves you? She reminds me. Don't you? Because any of you got the gift of complaining and grumping? Any of you? No one? You mean there's no one in here that complains and grumps? I see that hand. I see that. that two, two, three. Do we have three? Three, three. Okay, four. I have that gifting. I don't know if you, Paul, Pastor Paul doesn't know that's listed in the Bible someplace. We just haven't quite found it yet. But I'm sure it's there. And, and uh, I like to use it sometimes in my marriage and... <laughs> Uh, my wife doesn't go for it. Um, she just reminds you, don't you see how much God loves you? How much God loves you? So I saw God's redemptive plan in my life when I first got up and I saw his grace. I saw his redemptive plan as I was growing up as a family and I saw his love. And the third thing I see his redemptive plan, that, that even though I, I became a pastor of a church, and it was interesting, at 19 I'm pastoring a church, never been to a Bible school, you know, my first wife went to Bible school. She went to Three Hills, and they taught her how to preach. And so she tried to teach me how to preach. And the only way I figured out you could preach was lay down on the floor, lay the Bible in front of you, and beg God for a message. <laughs> I noticed Pastor Paul has a worn-out part in his carpet in the basement. Maybe that's what he does, too. I don't know. But that was the system that I had. And, and, and some of my messages were kind of wild. Matter of fact, uh, uh, about into my... 
19th or 20th year when I was pastoring two churches, both a Baptist and a Pentecostal church. Figure that one out. And uh, at the same time, and uh, because they liked this long-haired hippie, they seemed to think that there was something about him. And, and, and so I was there. And one of my elders came up from my poor Stanley church and said, Pastor Jim, can I talk to you for a few minutes? I said, sure. He said, I don't know how to say this, but this, this is probably today was one of your worst messages I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> well, that just really builds you up, eh? You know what I mean? Like, thank you, brother. God bless you. Maybe you want to consider moving to another church now. And, uh, but he said, you know what? The thing that gets me is that day 11 adults came forward for salvation. And he says, I began to realize it's not sometimes the, the method of the sermon, but it's the spirit behind. I had a love to see people saved. And that came through over and over. If you're not saved today, I'm hoping you're going to invite Jesus into your heart. You can have that redemptive power. You can have that redemptive love. You can have that redemptive grace. And so I felt I needed to go off to Bible school to get some training. But I didn't know what to do. You know, we were broke and poor. We didn't have any money. Irene came from a poor situation. My bank robber mother was now in jail, so I didn't have that opportunity. And so... Uh, so one day I'm out working on our house down in Port Stanley, and a guy next door who was a non-Christian said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm thinking about it. I should go. He knew I was a pastor. He said, I think you, I, I, you should, I should go to church or go to a school. And he said, you know, and I, but I don't have any money. And he said to me, this non-Christian said to me, you want to see redemptive plan of God again? He says to me, why don't you go talk to this businessman and tell him your story? So I called this businessman. And I said to him, I, hi, I'm James Humphreys. I'm the pastor of this church, you know. He said, yeah, I know who you are. And uh, that's good. My reputation was going before me. And, uh, and I told him what I felt God was doing in my life. And he said, could you write it all down and figure out how much money you need? And I said, okay. And can you meet me at the bank at 2 o'clock this afternoon? So I said, okay. So I wrote it all out and figured it all out. And I went to the bank. And, and uh, the sad part of going to the bank, one, it's the same bank my mom robbed. <laughs> and I was just praying that the last name Humphreys wouldn't be connected to the Humphreys that, who was a bank robber. I'm a Humphreys who is now a pastor. A difference, I think. And uh, so he shared it and everything. And then they, the, the man, I got to go right into the manager, right to the top guy. And, and, and the manager and this businessman talked to each other and said, do you have any, the businessman said to the manager, do you have any problems? I said, nope. And, then, and uh, they made up a small loan and I went out with about $7,000 and uh, was ready to go to Bible school. But I had to now get registered at Bible school. And I had met Dr. Hildebrand someplace else along the way. And so I called Briarcrest and I said, Dr. Hildebrand, do you remember me? And Dr. Hildebrand, I think he's got a photographic memory for names and people. He said, I remember you. Yeah, I met you on the front steps. You're that. See, my reputation again was going before me. Okay? And I said, I, I, I feel I need to go to Bible school. And he said, okay. And I feel I need to call the, come here. And he said, okay. He said, fill out the references. Fill out all the paperwork. And, and send it in. And we'll see. And I said, no, you don't get it. I need to come right now. No references. No nothing. No application. I need you to accept me right now. And the phone went quiet for a few minutes, and then he, he spoke up and says, okay, you're accepted, come. And I was a grade 10 dropout, now going to, at the age of 22, go to school, had no idea about papers or reading books, or, and I'm going to show you later, later what my, my life was like when it came to education. But they let me in, and they said, you're on probation. Only one thing is that if you're on probation for the first year, and if you, and if you fail, you're kicked out. <laughs> so, great. The first semester, I failed everything, and, uh, including evangelism, and, uh, which blew me away. Like, I'm an evangelist, okay? My evangelist teacher, that's okay. You might be an evangelist, but I'm still going to fail you. Anyway, he doesn't work at the school anymore. And... Uh, not my fault. You mess around with one of God's kids? <laughs> but somehow, I managed to get through that first semester just by the grace of God and His redemptive power. And after a number of years, I was able to graduate. 
But it was during that time, this man had provided, and, and, he, and he said to me, he said, if you ever need any more money, let me know. And uh, about after about three months being at school, I realized I miscalculated things. So I called him up on the phone, and I said, I'm about $3,000 short. I don't know how I'm going to pay you. And he said, this is what he said, and, and no kidding. He said, I have a choice to either give it to Trudeau or to give it to you. Which one do you think I want to do? Now, I have had trick questions on examinations in Bible schools, but this one I could figure out. (laughs) That business, man, paid for all my BA, paid for all my master's degree. All of it. I don't even hardly know him. But the redemptive plan of God God was up to something, and he can move mountains. He can move mountains. He can move mountains. Out of that, we, I've been in ministry for about 25 years, and that's where I met uh, Pastor Paul along the line with, with the Fellowship of Christian Assemblies. But 23 years ago, um, got to think about this clock. 23 years ago, I was, I was going between one sanctuary and another sanctuary of a large church, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me at that moment and said, I want you to resign as a pastor, and I want you to start doing discipleship ministry worldwide. And I said to him, you got to be crazy. Lord, you've asked me to do stupid things, but this is one of the ones, like, you know I can't spell. I don't like writing things in the blackboard. Like, I write things on the blackboard, and other people in the congregation sit there and laugh. Like, doesn't that guy, he's got a doctor. Can he figure out how to spell the word the? <laughs> it's not quite that bad. And when your wife, who, who, who English is like her 15th language, can figure out what's wrong, you, you kind of get this funny feeling in your life. And, uh, but God began to open up a door and we resigned, and to make a, a long story short, there was a number of things, but I want to jump over to his redemptive plan, because as I was resigning, you know, I came home and I told Irene, I said, I feel that we should resign. Irene said to me, finally, you've heard God, because she'd known already for about six months. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me? No, she said, I want you to hear it from God. And I said, she's resigning me. I wanted me to resign and go into missions. She says, yeah, I know. God already told me six months ago, but I've been waiting for you. You know, sometimes men have a hard head, right? Any of you men got a hard head? Oh, God bless you for your faithfulness. Yes. And, uh, but there were some things that went along when we began to start Project Lambs International. But before we started, there was two things that happened. God opened up the door that I could go to Israel, me and Irene. And somebody had prophesied on, over me at, at actually Providence Theological Seminary, which is an interesting place to get prophesied over, and said to me, God was going to give you a new anointing. You know, and I, I understand these things. People come up to me and they're trying to be nice. They're trying to encourage you and say things. And I don't always believe what everybody says. I'm sorry, I'm a kind of a doubting Thomas a little bit. You know, I want to see things. And, and so... Uh, here I am in Israel, and we just got off, and we're in this, this, this kind of a plantation area of trees and plants and everything where they, they teach you about the Old Testament where all, all these plants and animals and stuff that were in the Old Testament. And then we were at the place where they actually crushed the olive oils to make oil. And uh, the lady was showing us how it was done. It was a Jewish uh, lady. And, and at the, towards the end, she took some oil in a jar, and she poured it over hand, and she said, Now, you need to remember, I've got a VHS camera. Remember those things? Anyone, you younger generation have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's a big camera with big tapes, and you, you, know, you carry up water them and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm videotaping, so I'm standing at the back of about 25 people, and she's explaining, and I'm videotaping, and she says, and she pours the oil on, and says, oil was used also not only for food, for cooking, and for light, but also was used for anointing kings. I thought, yeah, that's cool. And then she poured more oil on, and it's also used to anoint priests of God. She walks through the crowd, and she walks up to me, and she says, I anoint you as a priest of God. Remember I told you? It was prophesied, a new anointing. Think about the chances of a Jewish woman 
anointing me for ministry to go out on the mission field. God's redemptive plan. Through all that, through all that training and education, I began to get understanding. But the, but the redemption didn't stop there. God wanted to begin to do things around my life, and, and, and what he began to do was call me into things that I thought were impossible to do. My first wife had died with cancer and, and gone home, and there's another whole big story. If you had about eight hours to come back tonight, we might be able to cover most of this testimony, but, but anyway... Uh, God began to speak into our hearts and, and, and miracles after going to Myanmar and then other things, God began to speak into my heart about writing. And I thought, God, you're crazy. You know, I, I, I'm not very good in spelling and grammar. Uh, and, and, and what God was trying to teach, and Colwyn kept saying to me, just write little books because men don't like reading big books. <laughs> write a little book that a man could read in about two or three hours. Amen. Okay, see, you were right again. See, everybody's the same. She keeps telling me, everyone's the same all around the world. Just because she's from Asia doesn't mean that you guys aren't the same over here. So I began to write little books, and I began to take that which I've been teaching, and I, and I began, and, I, and, I, and, I, and God was asking me to write Bible school courses. And, and as I said, I was afraid to write things on the blackboard because I couldn't tell whether I had spelt right or not spelt right. I didn't know if I was using the right grammar and stuff like that. But God had to begin to teach me that his redemptive power can also come to me through others. You know, he, he showed me redemption personally. He showed me redemption in ministry. He showed me redemption at school. But now he wanted to show me a redemption that I can do things through you even if you don't have the abilities to do it. Because that's my redemptive power, love and grace. And he began to do things in my life, calling me to be a teacher, calling me to write curriculum, calling me to do things. But at the same time as he called, he began to surround me with people. See, everything that God wants to do redemptively, he does also within the body of his church. And he surrounds you. That's why we need the church. People say, I don't need to go. You need to go. Because if you don't go, you miss out on the redemptive plan of God. Because part of his redemptive plan of God is to use other people in your life. And we don't understand that. I need you and you need me. Whether you like it or not, we need each other. Aren't you happy about that? That's his redemptive plan. And so God began to do powerful things. I, I, I want to show you something before I show you this. Can you put this up? I, wanna, I, I brought my report cards. This is, this is grade three. Because I want you to really get this redemptive plan thing. You know, some of us just give up on each other, or give up on ourselves too quickly. Oh, God can't use me. I'm not good enough. I'm too dumb. I'm too, you know, get over it. Okay? Now, let me show you my report card in grade three. C, E, C, uh, E, 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 B, check the B out. C, D, E, E, C, C, E, C, C, D. And if you look at here, E is not for excellent. <laughs> it's for unsatisfactory. Then, just to prove, my teachers would say to me, the work, I believe the work is beyond him. Okay? Also help him with adding and tables, with so forth and so on. He bothers everyone near him. <laughs> that is one gifting I don't think has changed yet. What do you think, Cohen? Do I still bother a lot of people? Yeah, okay. It says, I'm doing and we're good in arithmetic. I will take much improvement, as you can see. <laughs> we all agree. For him to succeed in his years. His work is still very messy. And I sometimes wonder if his, if his eyesight... I can't even see this. Uh, <laughs> she recommends that I should go to a doctor. <laughs> then things improved in grade five. You know, they improved a lot. We got D, D, E, D, D, E. Check out the B again. D, C, C, C. But it says up here, if you have D's and E's, according to them, it requires an interview. <laughs> Problem with that is I didn't have any parents, so the only person I could interview was me, <laughs> and I ain't going to go anywhere. But I wanted to, please notice that B there, okay? 
It's one of the few I've ever gotten in my life. And so I need to you know, really build it up here. But what I want to say is here, the world says failure, rejected, has no value, like the woman at the well. God says, this is my child, redeemed by my redemptive power, grace, and love. You know, think about that. And now think about this. Three or four years ago, I wrote a book on Bible information. That's a study tool to help pastors around the world that don't have study Bibles. It's now in 18 languages. Over 250,000 copies are in circulation. It's now been made by apps that you can download free on your phone. Is that the redemptive plan of God? The Holy Spirit came to me and said, I need to help correct Irene's, or not Irene's, Cohen's people's Bible. I said, God, not a chance. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you my redemptive power that I'm going to help you to correct some of the theological problems and some of the spelling mistakes and some of the other things in their language. I said, God, this is your word. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know? I don't even know how to spell. I can't even do anything with grammar. I said, I didn't ask you that. I want you to work on the book. Think about that. I could have died in the streets of St. Thomas. But because of his redemptive power, I get the honor to work on his word. Over 35,000 copies of this have gone out. Helping children, moms. We just got an email just a few weeks ago and said, thanked us. They use us every night in their nightly devotions. They never had a scripture, and now they use us. There's a family. family on the other side of the world wanted to thank me for his redemptive power. Bless you, brother. Amen. Then if he didn't think that God had a sense of humor, he came to me a number of years ago and said, I need you to write a dictionary in a concordance. I know a lot of people on earth smoke up. But I thought, God, you lost your mind. But again, God surrounds you with wonderful people like Wycliffe, SIL, and took the vision of writing this mini Bible and dictionary. And you know, it's, it's now completed. Wycliffe is going to put it on their international webinary site. Think about that. Just think about that. Not only that, but if we can raise about $40,000, which is a lot, but we believe God is going to do it, we can print this for about two bucks each, and we're going to, we've been cleared now to give it to 10,000 catch-in pastors and 10,000 Burmese pastors, and there's nothing like this that's ever been written. Think about the redemptive journey from the streets where everybody said he will die by the age of 22 and how he brought along and brought along and brought along. With God, all things are possible. Pray for God's people or Colwyn's people because they're undergoing much war and challenges because of the Christians. But do you see how God, in his redemptive plan, where people said he will be a nobody, he cannot be used, he doesn't fit into the system, that's okay. God says, I like to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. 
the scripture. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the great and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of his, this creation, not with the blood of goats or calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Praise God. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleansing your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. People, all God is looking for is a conduit to flow his redemptive power through. What's happened with some of us, we feel that, oh, God used to do things back in the old days. God used to do that, but he's not doing it today. You know why we don't see it doing it today? Because we've stopped being a conduit. We've allowed our conduit to get full of garbage. We've become a plug dirty pipe. And what we need to do is say, oh God, wash me and cleanse me one more time. Because he wants to flow through us of his redemptive power to the people we work with, to the people all around us. Where they will say, and I, and, and, and I remember this one time, and i got to put this in here. Because when I was doing street ministering and all that, and I thought God was doing a redemptive work with me. I remember people always said to other people, if you need to know Jesus, go find Jimmers the Evangelist. That was my nickname, Jimmers the Evangelist. It still is, actually. Many people in St. Thomas, oh, you're Jimmers the Evangelist, right? And I remember one night, we got a knock on the door. And I want to conclude with this. We got a knock on the door, and there was this, this husband and wife with two children. And they had a little black tag. Anybody know what that little black tag is? That means you're Mormon. Okay? It's like said so-and-so elder of the Mormon church. And I'm just a young Christian at that time. And I'm thinking... I'm not ready to do battle with a Mormon. I don't know enough scripture, and he will walk all over me. But I will do battle with him physically. (laughs) I was good at that. So as he stood there at the door, Irene yelled down, Who is it? And I said, "It's It's a Mormon couple wanting to come in, him and his wife. And I said, What do you want? I said, I don't have time to talk to you and argue about theology and about the Bible. He says, I'm not here for that. I said, what are you here for? I've heard on the streets that we can find Jesus here. Can you come in? Can we come in and can you lead us to Jesus Christ? That's the redemptive power of God. Some of us have left that redemptive power behind. But God's been speaking to you by his Holy Spirit today and saying to you, it's time to become that vessel. It's time to get cleaned up again. It's time. If we don't, Red Deer is done. Right? Our country is almost done now because the the Christians are clogged up with all kinds of stuff in their pipes. And the redemptive power can't get through. But if you want to stand to your feet right now, I want to pray for you and say, yes, pastor, pray for me. I need to get that clog out of my pipe and become a, ch- a child of God who walks in the redemptive power and love of grace of Jesus Christ. If that's you, just stand to your feet. God bless you. God bless you. Father, we ask now, Lord, that these words that have been spoken, Lord, will bring glory to your name. It surely hasn't been me, Lord. But Lord, your redemptive power has always been there. And I thank you for it. And now, Lord, you see this congregation. Lord, they're asking, asking you, Lord, to remove some things from their conduit, from their channel. Lord, they're asking you to forgive them of things 
Lord, that has kind of plugged up your flow. And I pray today that revival would start here. Lord, not out there or all over the place, but with us. Right here, start with me, O Lord. And cleanse my heart. Forgive me, Lord, for any wickedness. Because I just want to be a redemptive channel of yours. And I pray for these men, women, young people that have stood now. Lord, that this will not just be an action of something they do just for Sunday, but Lord, that from this day forward, your redemptive power is going to flow out through each one of them and turn this community upside down. There's people waiting to hear about you, Jesus. There's people like me that are walking the streets that need you, Jesus. There's people, Lord, that need deliverance. There's people, Lord, that need anointing. Lord, just do your perfect will this day. Thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you for the pastor and his wife. And thank you that we have an opportunity today to see how powerful your redemption can be. For we give you all the praise and glory now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Sue. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Amen.